In recent years, value-based payment models have been a central feature of efforts to reduce healthcare expenditures and improve quality of care in the United States. But evidence suggests that these programs have often been regressive, moving dollars away from patients, providers, and communities with fewer resources and toward those with more. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Rishi Wadera, a cardiologist at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center and an assistant professor at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Wadera has co-authored a perspective article about value-based payment and equity. Dr. Wadera, your perspective article focuses on value-based payment models implemented by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. How do these programs work and why have they become such a central feature of the U.S. healthcare system? Over the last decade, uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, as you said, rolled out numerous well-intentioned value-based payment models really in the hope that they might reduce healthcare spending and improve quality of care. We know that the United States spends more on healthcare than any other country in the world, and our health outcomes remain suboptimal, especially when compared to other higher-income countries. And so under the Affordable Care Act, value-based models were rolled out in the hopes of addressing both of those issues. And as an example, beginning in 2010, more than 3,000 hospitals were mandated to participate in value-based pay-for-performance programs like the Hospital Value-Based Purchasing Program, the Hospital Readmissions Reduction Program, and the Hospital Acquired Condition Reduction Program. And all of these programs essentially linked financial payment through either financial penalties or rewards to quality measures. And on the outpatient side, another program, the Merit Incentive-Based Payment System, or MIPS, also began linking payment to quality for outpatient clinicians and practices across the country. You say in your article that many of these programs have hampered the pursuit of health equity. So why have providers that care for low-income people and other marginalized populations generally fared worse than well-resourced providers in these programs? Well, I think first, well-resourced clinicians and health systems that tend to care for more affluent patient populations have the infrastructure and capital in place to rapidly adapt to these types of new programs and the logistical and reporting requirements that come with them. And therefore, they're just more likely to succeed. Second, something that's been discussed with great vigor, I think, amongst clinicians, researchers, and the policy community, and has been brought to light over the last decade through a lot of empirical work, is just that CMS's approach to risk adjustment doesn't fully account for medical factors like frailty and social risk factors like poverty and housing instability that we know influence health outcomes and spending. And as a result, providers that participate in some of these value-based payment models um, that I mentioned that tend to care for patients with a higher burden of medical and social risk factors are disproportionately penalized for serving sicker and poorer patients rather than for lower quality care. You say in your article that one bright spot in the value-based payment era has been accountable care organizations. In what ways have ACOs addressed some of the problems with these other value-based payment models? And then what health equity concerns do still persist nonetheless? Accountable care organizations are structured differently than some of the programs I just mentioned in that they adopt a more population-based perspective to value. ACOs or accountable care organizations are groups of clinicians, practices, health systems, or other providers that 
come together and are responsible for care delivery, care coordination, and healthcare spending for an assigned population of patients. And the upshot is that ACOs are rewarded bonuses if total costs of care for their patient population fall below a spending benchmark, and in some cases incur penalties if costs of care exceed this benchmark. And early evidence from Medicare's major ACO program, the Medicare Shared Savings Program, or MSSP, suggested that physician-led ACOs reduce spending and that savings grew over time. And these savings have largely been generated through improved efficiencies in care delivery, reduced use of low-value healthcare services, and reduced use of post-acute care services. And so this population-based approach that's inherent to the ACO model is well-suited to enhance equity because ACOs can direct resources to populations that need the most if the structure and incentives are done right. And that's really why the latest type of ACO model that CMS and CMMI proposed, ACO REACH, could be a step in the right direction. So what are the major provisions of the ACO REACH model that promote equity? Unlike prior value-based payment models, which really did not prioritize equity in their design and implementation, ACO REACH is one of the first value-based models that has been designed with the explicit intent of improving health equity. And there are several unique provisions in the ACO REACH model that could have a tangibly positive impact. The first major provision that I'll highlight is that ACO REACH includes a health equity adjustment that actually increases the spending benchmark for ACOs caring for high proportions of low-income or socioeconomically disadvantaged patients. And this spending benchmark adjustment is important for a few reasons. It's a major shift from past value-based payment models because this specific provision of REACH tacitly acknowledges that providers may need to spend more, not less, to meet the needs and advance the health of individuals from historically marginalized populations. And we know that clinicians and health systems that tend to care for low-income or marginalized populations have traditionally been less likely to participate in prior iterations of ACOs, perhaps because they know that total costs of care for their patients tend to be higher due to the effects of clinical and social risk factors, and they worry that they won't be able to meet spending benchmarks in the ACO program. And so the health equity adjustment in ACO REACH directly addresses this issue by mitigating the disincentive for these providers to participate in ACOs and more broadly to care for low-income and marginalized patient populations. And I'll just add that although the totality of evidence suggests that the MSSP ACO program saved money by reducing low-value care and post-acute care services, there has been some controversy about the degree to which some of these savings might reflect ACOs strategically dropping patients who have high expected medical spending. And the health equity adjustment in the ACO REACH program would also directly address this concern. In a related perspective article, Jacobs and colleagues from CMS write that addressing social needs must be a central goal of ACOs in the future. So how would the ACO REACH program actually encourage providers to focus on social needs? There are several other provisions in the ACO REACH program beyond the health equity adjustment to benchmarks that I just mentioned that are pushing organizations to really focus on social determinants of health and social risk factors that we know are inextricably tied to health. The first is that ACO REACH will now require 
that ACOs and health systems and organizations develop and implement a health equity plan. And so by explicitly defining or pushing organizations to define their health equity plans, these organizations may be better prepared to build a strategic agenda and mobilize resources to advance equity within their health systems and communities. ACO REACH is also requiring participating organizations to collect and report information on social determinants of health of their patients. Right now, we do a very poor job of capturing information on social risk factors. And doing so could actually be a key step towards identifying adults who face significant barriers to optimal health and eventually developing tailored interventions to help these patients. So in that regard, finally, moving forward, how could payment reform be used more broadly to ensure equitable access to care and to outcomes in the United States? Well, I think CMS's approach of using the MSSP ACO program, which has been a success as the foundation upon which to innovate, iterate, and improve while rigorously evaluating any of the new provisions of features of this program makes complete sense. CMS is working to address key challenges that have limited the impact of ACOs to date. And first is they are taking steps to increase participation of providers from underserved areas in this type of value-based payment model. And CMS, I think, has recognized that infrastructure and lack of capital can be a barrier. And so in some cases have proposed potentially providing the necessary upfront investment and capital for smaller organizations in underserved areas to successfully participate in accountable care organizations. Second, I think CMS's approach of having a laser focus on advancing equity, not only by expanding the reach of ACOs into underserved communities, but also through many of the novel provisions that they have baked into the REACH program, like the health equity adjustment, is exactly what we should be doing to ensure that equity remains a core component of enhancing value. And third, and this might be getting into the weeds, CMS is carefully examining their approaches to setting benchmarks, spending benchmarks, because one of the issues they've run into in recent years is that organizations that have higher spending at baseline and have the most to gain from participating in ACOs and transforming care are selectively exiting the program. And so I think CMS now is working towards approaches that will not only encourage participation, increase participation in ACOs, but also that will mitigate the incentive to exit ACOs. Thank you, Dr. Wadera. 